CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Are you listening? Another episode of the damn podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado. And today we welcome the co-founder and managing partner of Dogman.com, Kim Grinolds, to the show. It's going to help us preview Oregon State's football game at Washington, which is just over 24 hours away from the time we hit record here on Thursday, November 3rd. It's a Friday night game at 7.30 p.m. at Husky Stadium. You can watch it on ESPN2. I'll start with Angie. Friday night game after a long week. You ready for you ready for a late night and then having all day Saturday to watch some football? Yes. I you know, Friday night, I don't mind an occasional Friday night game. So um I think this is a good one. I think it's a good time, especially with the Huskies. It'll be uh, a big game for both teams and uh, I'm excited. Both squads at six and two overall and three and two in Pac-12 play. A big game, no doubt. And Frankly, the first time we've said that about an Oregon State football game in November in, in quite some time. Um, Kim, thanks for for joining us. Welcome to the show. Uh, for the listeners who are not familiar with your work at dogman.com, I don't know how they aren't at this point. Uh, tell them a little bit about yourself, how long you've been covering UW. Uh, you can promo the site a little bit. God, we started back in 1997. Angie, were you even born back in 1997, Angie? <laughs> Come on now. Come on. I now. graduated college in 97. All right. So we started back in 97 with Dave Samick, my business partner, um, back in the day. And, you know, we were Jim Heckman and Rivals, the Insiders, we were Fox. And but now we're with 24-7 Sports. And it's, uh, you know, the... The rumors of our demise have been greatly exaggerated as we continue to grow and get bigger and bigger. And big thanks to, you know, my two guys, Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. You know, they're as good as they are in the business. And then being back on the 24-7 network, and you can acclaim, you know, attest to this, but being back and working with Greg Biggins and Brandon Huffman is awesome. So it's, yep. it's a huge deal. And then we get to work with the coolest publisher in the Pac-12 conference in Angie Mercado. Yeah, pretty much. You you nailed it. You nailed yes. it. You were like the OG godfather because seriously, oh, Dogman yeah. was like one of the very first sites, you know, out there. 
Oh yeah, we were nineteen ninety five a year, and Dave Samick looked at me and told me I was crazy that nobody would pay for you know recruiting information, and then the checks started coming in, and this little side project quickly turned into you know the beast that just needed to be fed constantly and daily. And then um, you know back in the day, we used to put out an article every couple of days, and you know then it grew to we were doing one a day, and now Aren't we're doing, doing a, like one eight hundred numbers or. One, we did the we did the nine hundred numbers 900, for, about a, right. for about a for about a month, and okay. it was shocking how much money we made. It was shocking. <laughs> I mean, it was just mind boggling how much money was being made on that kind of stuff. So, yeah, no, it's it's just been you know twenty five years, twenty five years, Angie. You know, so Crazy. it's been a long, long, long time. I'm I'm still a child, and we're still having fun, and uh, not giving this up anytime soon. It's fun. So just one real quick story. Uh, Scott Eklund, when Tyrone Willingham got the, another year, he threatened to quit. He says, "I'm not doing this anymore. It sucks. It's awful because it was just so bad." And yeah, I wouldn't let him quit. I said, "We're doing this. If me and Scott and me and Chris are doing this, you're not going anywhere." And I said, "I'm going to still send you checks." So he tried to quit on us, but we wouldn't let him. <laughs> we we could actually attest to some of that during the Gary Anderson era. Oh yeah, we've all been yeah. through the it. dark days. We've the all been through days. it. Yeah. Yep. Moral of the story there is we've got one of the veterans in this business on the podcast today, one of the experts on the Washington Huskies going to help us break this game down. Let's start with a little Q&A. Let's let's dive deep into the Huskies into this game into the matchup. Um, you know, Kim's thoughts on on how the Beavers and Huskies match up here for what, like I said, is really the first time Oregon State has played a big game in the month of November in, in quite some time. One of the big storylines ahead of this game that I feel like we have to we have to start with uh, has nothing to do with the teams themselves, but the weather. Uh, an atmospheric river is is forecasted to run through the Pacific Northwest. I've heard about a, a rain shadow effect, maybe limiting the amount of rain that actually falls in Seattle, but. I don't know, Kim. What are your thoughts on you know if if the the rain and and the wind do come to fruition as expected? What are your thoughts on how that could impact this game? Normal. I, when was the last time there was a Washington Oregon State <laughs> yeah. game where there's been good weather? I've been talking about this for a month. The weather always sucks for Washington and Oregon State. It doesn't matter whether it's up in Washington or down at Oregon State. The weather sucks. It's just the way it is. And you know, it might be a little bit more of an advantage for Oregon State is that I think that they're going to look to run the run the ball quite a bit. And that's been a weakness of Washington is, you know, stopping a run. But a lot of that's had to do with forcing teams to pass the ball and Washington secondary being so depleted. So uh, the weather is, it's supposed to rain starting tonight. It's supposed to rain and be just absolutely awful. And then not only the rain, but we're expecting the wind. And if you've never been to Husky stadium, you get the wind and the rain and the stadium's right on the water. Water's undefeated. It always wins. It always does. I don't care how good a rain gear you have and how much you bundle up, water wins. So um, the good thing is if you're going to see teams run the football, Angie, that means for a quicker game. So maybe we'll get out of the stadium prior to 2 a.m. That would be nice, wouldn't it, Carter? <laughs> That's what I'm rooting for. <laughs> yeah. Those those 7.30 games, man, I always I always set the over-under at like 3 a.m. for when I wrap up. Um yeah, let's let's run the ball. Let's you know, short no completions, keep just... keep the ball in bounds, clean game. Let's get out of here as soon as possible. Yeah, and Washington's you know their strength is on their passing uh, passing attack with Michael Penix and the uh, wide receivers. So uh, they've not been able to run the ball real effectively all year. So we'll see how that does indeed play out. 
Hey, Ken, I just have a, or Kim, oh, I have ahead, a quick question. How big is this game? I mean, I, it feels for Oregon State that this is a really big game, kind of a crossroads. Both teams are six and two um, with kind of one team at the winner, maybe projecting themselves into kind of being a, a contender What and the other, the loser kind of being demoted down to the also rands. Is that the feeling in, in Seattle or are you guys just thinking, you know, this is just a normal game? Well, I think last, you know, the last game against Cal was a huge game, you know, to take them to six and two rather than five and three, and then going into the Oregon State game with a tough game, because you have to look forward if they were to uh, not win on Saturday against Oregon State, they travel down to Eugene next week. Yeah. And, that, and I, I think they're going to get boat raced up with the offense that Oregon is running down there. So um, that's going to be a real tough game to win. Then they come back home for Colorado, which should be a win, but then having to go over to Pullman and play at Washington state. So yeah, this could be, um, this could turn it where Washington could be finish out the season one and three or three and one. So I think this is a real pivotal game for Washington. But the other thing that's kind of unusual was, you know, with Washington with the bye week last week and Oregon State with the bye week this past week, I can't remember two teams having the bye week and then playing together. So a uh, chance for both teams to get healthy as well. Yeah. It does kind of mitigate the advantage, you know, when one team comes in off of a bye week and you, know, you always wonder, all right, well, is the team that's been off for a week going to come out like loose and well-prepared or are they going to be tight because they haven't played in two weeks? Well, I, I think what we've seen in the Pac-12 this year with so many of these bye weeks being constructed around team schedules to to limit that advantage or disadvantage, um, it's it's been kind of a, a fun twist to this season. I want to go back to the passing game that, that you talked about there at, at the beginning. Washington has been a pass-first team. Michael Penix Jr. is leading the most prolific passing offense in the country right now. Um, I, I guess let's just, let's dive into it. And, and Kim, I'm curious why it's been so effective. Like what has been, what has been the X factor in that offense that's allowed Michael Penix to, to reach a level that, I mean, it seems to be even higher than, than what he did at Indiana. Well, you take a look at what they've been able to do, you know, along the way with Coach DeBoer and then Coach Grubb, you know, the offensive coordinator and, you know, Kalen DeBoer, Michael Penix had his best year under Kalen DeBoer back at uh, Indiana and then back at uh, South Dakota State, what was it, two or three national championship? It's just a stupid record. I think it was 69 and three back at South Dakota State. So he's been successful everywhere he's gone. And I think it really opened a lot of people's eyes last year with what he did at Fresno State with Jake Hayner. I mean, he turned Jake Hayner into somebody that people were actually mentioning for a Heisman Trophy. And if he's able to do that with a Jake Hayner coming to Washington with, you know, uh, you know, a more experienced Michael Penix. And the running joke is just if you take a look at Washington's games, their wide receivers just always seem to be so open. There's nobody around them. And is this because of the quality of the um, of the wide receivers or is it, you know, something to do with the offense that they're running? The, I was talking to the wide receiver coach, uh, Jamarcus Shepard, and uh, he said that he could get uh, Romo Dunsey's mom open in this offense. So um, I don't know. They just seem, I, I, like I said, I'm not really a hundred percent convinced that it's as much talent as it is the, um, the schemes that they're running, but the, the wide receivers just always seem to be open and uh, magic Mike, Mike Penix is, 
he's got a little bit of that magic to him and he just oh seems God. to make Please things don't happen. say that. Magic, magic Mike. Mike. Magic Mike. Yeah. His last name is Penix. Yeah. Oh. oh yeah. I mean, that's been going on for a while. <laughs> Robert Griffin, the third with the big Penix energy. I, I think that'll go down as, as one of the best like commentator <laughs> quotes of, of the college football season. Yeah, no, you know, it's kind of funny. He's got a rocket arm, but if you really take a look at his motion, he, he just kind of shoves the ball, but it seems to work, work effectively. And Washington's got the wide receivers, but, you know, just take a look at some of the game film. I mean, they're not just open, they're wide open. So it'll be interesting in the wind and the rain tomorrow night to see how that plays out. And he's a lefty too, which is is always fun to watch. I mean, lefty quarterbacks don't they only come along every now and then so um i I, i've been impressed with what i've seen from him this year i I will be completely transparent you know coming into the year i didn't have high expectations i thought you know this is a guy who's been bitten by the injury bug um you know it it looked like he was maybe on the decline from what he had done in that impressive i believe it was the 2020 season at, at indiana if i'm not mistaken um but i mean man i i gotta give him credit he's he's leading an, an offense that looks borderline unstoppable at times. It almost seems like that uh, last uh, game against Cal, the first drive they had to settle for a field goal on the first drive and every game prior to the Cal game on their first drive, they scored a touchdown and Michael Penix just, he just looks at times like they're just carving it up, you know, chunks, you know, seven yards, eight yards, 12 yards, 15 yards, and they're getting big chunks. And um, you know, so I don't, think anybody really saw this coming so it makes us wonder what uh, you know if he can do this with Jake Hayner and uh, Michael Penix what's the future hold with uh, Sam Heward so you know we'll see uh, next year whether it's Sam Heward or uh, Dylan Morris if it's more about talent or if it's more about the scheme that they're running talk a little bit about the running game I mean I know that uh, Washington is is a pass first offense but Running game, that might be really important on, on Friday night. Yeah, you know, before last year, we thought that the running back room was probably the strength of the team, and we found out different very quickly where there was they brought in two, uh, two transfers and some guys left the program, and the main guy that they seem to be running is Wayne Talapapa, who's, uh, you know, he's a senior. He's already graduated. He came in from Virginia, and he's just kind of a workman kind of guy. I wouldn't call him explosive. He just kind of gets the job done. I don't think he's a type of player that anybody has to plan for. Richard Newton, a real physical runner, and he seems to uh, be maybe the second or third alternating with Cam Davis. But Richard Newton is a very, very physical runner, a very dynamic runner. But that physicalness has led to him being injured quite a bit. So uh, we'll see if Richard Newton can get it going. And then Cam Davis seems to be the best blend of all worlds. He's able to run inside, outside, catch the ball, and their pass blocking seems to be pretty well. But I think the run game is, um, you know, it all has to do with the offensive line. They've got a good offensive line, but they're much better at pass blocking than they are run blocking. Uh, Washington could use a dynamic running back, and it'll be interesting to see next year if they address that out of the portal and try to get a dynamic running back. One look at the stat sheet and, you know, you look at the rushing numbers and the top two rushers on Washington's team have combined for 14 touchdowns. So that tells me, you know, Washington might be a, a pass heavy offense and, and one of the prolific passing offenses in, in the country, but it's not shying away from the run necessarily. But I, I'm curious, too, if is, is that touchdown total inflated by maybe, you know, all right, we get down inside the, the five, inside the 10, we're going to punch it in. 
or are these guys making big plays downfield and, and breaking loose for big touchdowns? They've actually struggled in the red zone. I mean, they have struggled near the goal line. And that was one of the things that when they got Wayne Talapapa, that was what he was known for was being you know, inside the five and being able to score. But they've actually struggled. They've gotten a little bit better at it, running the Wildcat and putting, uh, you know, either Cam Davis or um, – rich rich newton back there and um you know running the wildcat they've been a little bit more successful but you know it also doesn't help michael Penix with the injury history he has he's pretty pretty good at not taking hits you know he's not a mobile quarterback and he does not run the ball much and he gets rid of the ball before he gets hit he's just not taking any chances so i think that kind of limits washington's running game as well where he just you're not going to see him run past the line of scrimmage much he'll scramble out but i'll tell you he'll he'll get rid of the ball before he passes the line of scrimmage Oregon State fans everywhere are smiling hearing that. <laughs> I think the the ghosts of um, of Taylor Green at Boise State and Caleb Williams are are, are haunting them right now. Um, uh, that's definitely that definitely brings some joy to Beaver fans. He's a, he's athletic and mobile, but like I said, he's going to avoid taking a hit at all costs. It's kind of like Oregon State quarterbacks. Don't want to get hit. So let's talk a little bit defense. Um, you know, I know that the Huskies have a good defense, uh, a deep, or the pass rush is, is one of the nation's best. Oregon State says that they have a trio of edge rushers that might be the best they've seen all year. Is this athleticism? Is this scheme? What makes the Huskies so potent in, in pass protection? Well, experience, I think, is I think experience number one, you know, with Jeremiah Martin, he's a transfer from Texas A&M, and he's kind of had a coming out party this year where he's playing real well. You you know, it just sometimes takes a little bit of time for guys coming from high school into college for that switch to click, you know, and it's definitely switched from Jeremiah Martin. And on the other side, they have Braylon Trice. We're hearing rumors of, you know, he may be a little bit dinged, so we'll see if Graylin Trice is able to do it, but he's been in the program uh, a long time. And then uh, ZTF, Zion Tupaola Fatui, he just seems to have a knack for getting after the quarterback. You know, he was a preseason All-American in certain services. So we'll see what he can do. And then you've also got Sadell Smalls, who's, uh, you know, he's a five-star rated kid out of Kennedy High School. And, you know, he's not getting as much playing time, but they've got some dynamic guys on the edges, which you know, makes it um, a little bit more surprising that they've been as successful as they have because their interior pass rush isn't there. And if you want to have a good pass rush, I think the push up the middle is important where Washington, you know, is they don't have Vita Vea anymore. They don't have Greg Gaines anymore. They don't have Elijah Qualls anymore. They don't have that run stuffer inside that can push that pocket. So um, if they can stop those guys on the edges, you're not going to get the pressure up the middle. We can go on and on about how Oregon State's high end secondary matches up against Washington's high end passing game and and how much that matchup uh could, it could play a big factor in determining this game, but I, I love the idea of watching this matchup between Washington's edge rushers and Oregon State's offensive line, which has traditionally been pretty good at, um, at, at blocking in both the run and pass games. And Ben Goldbranson back there, who has been, you know, sometimes statuesque at, at quarterback for Oregon State. He took the four sacks against Stanford. I think he's getting better in, in that area, but Man, you know, you, you look at that trio of, of of edge rushers that Oregon State says that it hasn't seen anything like it this year. And, you know, I, I think Oregon State has to be concerned about its ability to keep those guys in check. On the back end of the Washington defense, 
it feels really weird to talk about that being maybe a weakness for the Huskies, but uh, you know, uh, the, the Huskies have, have seemed uncharacteristically porous on, on, on the back end. I, I'm curious what's been, um, what has held them back in that area that has been a strength of theirs for so long? Well, you hate to point the finger to the previous guy, but that's what coaches do, you know, who brought these guys in, but uh, you know, I'll put it right at the feet of Jimmy Lake. Um, Jimmy's one of the best uh, defensive back coaches in college football. He was, uh, but then he ascended to defensive coordinator and head coach. And it just seemed like when he got elevated to defensive coordinator and head coach that uh, his recruitment changed. And when you take a look at the roster and the guys that they've got starting back there now at one corner, you have a former walk-on uh, Mish Powell. And on the other, you have a uh, transfer from a smaller school in um, Jordan Perryman. And then at safety, you have a former wide receiver. Not exactly what we're used to seeing at Washington over the years, but it just seems like, uh, they, well, they've been hurt a lot this year. Uh, starting uh, five defensive backs for the Kent State game. The last game against Cal was the first time all five had been on the field at the same time since the first half of the Kent State game. They just don't have the bodies. They don't have the experience. There's a lot of youth back there. Um, and I just don't think that they have the talent that they've had in the past. And then you throw in a new defensive scheme and uh, the def defense hasn't made as much of a progression from last year as the offense has. The offense is night and day different than last year, but um, the defense has definitely not made the uh, step forward that the offense has. Looking at the um, home home field, what is what is your expectation for the crowd on Friday night? Small. It's a Friday night game. Traffic's going to be a disaster. Tonight, weather is going to be a disaster. I think that's going to turn a lot of people off. Parking is going to be difficult because it's a Friday night game. And University of Washington's, that's a big employer. So there's a lot of employee parking there. Parking's going to be difficult. As you got the emails explaining that, uh, I think we're parking in Everett Carter. So <laughs> yeah. I think we're parking in hey, Everett. I, I, I printed my backup parking pass. I, so much for the S1 pass. Yeah, and S1 is a ways away, but uh, yeah, um, I think the weather is going to scare some people away. I think the Friday night game is going to scare some people away, just the commutes and you know tailgating when you put up your tent or whatever it is to do the tailgating in, and you got 45 mile an hour winds. Yeah, I'm not expecting a big crowd. I'm really not. Okay. It's, it's, it's a shame really. Cause I feel like, you know, these are two really good teams going at it um, in an environment that is always hostile at, at Husky stadium. No, I think Oregon state fans are, you know, have, have a lot of bad memories about Oregon state games up there uh, with just how loud it gets. And, and you mentioned, I mean, the wind whirling in that place is, is unlike anything you're going to find uh, around the PAC 12. It's, it's a very unique home field advantage, but I do think it's a shame that this game gets pushed to Friday night. Uh, in poor weather that that might turn some people away because this, does, I, I, this I, does have the feeling of of a game that should be sold out you got to come down on the sidelines at some point either <laughs> before the game or in the fourth quarter you got to come down and experience the elements i mean you know, <laughs> get the full seattle you know husky welcome to welcome uh -huh. to seattle welcome to husky football you know you got to experience it all so oh, I, was I remember being, i remember being a student and driving up there and that was back when that one end zone was just a few bleachers yeah oh god it was horrible like yeah wind rain all yeah, the above I, 
Yeah, if I, I have a whole backpack for cold weather and rain. So <laughs> I learned a long time ago, you know, it's, there's nothing worse than being cold and wet in Husky Stadium. I'm telling you, when it's raining and the wind kicks up off the water and it's just coming at you sideways, it's not coming down, it's coming at you, you know. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. <laughs> at, at least Oregon State and Washington, I mean, are, it's not like they're – immune from having bad weather though it's not like you know arizona state's coming up and gonna be crying about it no you know it's i just... mean it is what it is <laughs> it's <laughs> it makes football. you tougher it's football that's right. like that's like in basketball recruiting you know the guys talk about you know the basketball recruits where they tell you it rains in seattle and the one guy said well we play inside <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah but the interesting one is going to be watching usc and ucla moving to the big 10 and having to go, you know, play Rutgers or something in, in snow, November. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. UCLA softball in Ames, Iowa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. The softball team's playing Too in bad the for you guys. Midwest, you know, in March when there's snow on the ground, that's going to go over real well. So yeah. this ain't Brentwood. So. Exactly. <laughs> so Kim, is, is that press box at Husky stadium still open air? Cause when I was up there in 2020, you know, they, the garage doors up and everything mm -hmm. and all the wind and stuff is whipping I, I remember it being just absolutely frigid like my fingers were numb trying to type do they do they still do that or do they leave the windows down at all i'm not up there i don't know <laughs> fair enough fair enough i i, I mean that just for those who've never been they are actual garage doors on garage door openers they're glass and uh so they're closed before the game and they typically come by and push the garage door opener button and they open up. So um, when I get up there, you know, after the game uh, on a game like uh, tomorrow, they'll typically be closed. But, you know, they leave them open quite a bit, too. But that wind kicks up and it blows everything all the way, all over the place. Yeah, I mean, that 2020 season, you know, all those Pac-12 games are being played late November, early December. And I, I think Oregon... It, it was like the second game for Oregon State. I want to say it was like the very end of November, right before Thanksgiving, something like that. Um, it was like 35 degrees at game time, like 8 p.m., you know. Carter, the, I the have... The rain's coming down sideways. I have six electric hand warmers in my bag. I'll loan you one, okay? <laughs> Much appreciated. I'm I'm, I'm coming so prepared. I'm packing all of the layers yeah. um, for, for Friday's game. Good move. Good move. Uh, let's talk well, a little bigger a picture toss. stuff. I, I'm doing a oh, coin ahead, toss AJ. at the local high school to, on Friday night. Um, yeah, so that's going to be fun too because you know I'll have to walk out in the middle of the field, do a quick coin toss, and well, you'll be okay, Angie. You won't melt. You'll be fine. <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting old. She, she's going to smack me when she sees me. <laughs> <laughs> Honorary coin toss at, at Sherwood High School. I love it. Right. Awesome stuff. There we go. There we go. I mean, they had Adley Rutschman there last week, so I don't know if he did All of the toss, local but... celebrities coming exactly, up for this one. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not saying a whole lot. There we Machado, Adley Rutschman. Uh, it's not even close. Yeah. Um, Somebody's I, making I, a hell of a lot more money than the other yeah. two. <laughs> Beaver Blitz is lucrative, I tell you. Um, <laughs> a, a couple of bigger picture questions for you, Kim, re regarding the, the Washington football program. Obviously, year one under Kalen DeBoer. Um, you mentioned the improvements that Washington has made on the offensive side under his direction. I think pretty much everybody who saw this thing unfold from the outside expected that. You know, Kalen DeBoer obviously being an offensive-minded coach. The things he did at Fresno State were impressive. 
just, you know, the offense we talked about, but everything else, how much of a 180 has this program done under his direction? Because it, you know, again, from an outsider's perspective, was was pretty down there for a little while under Jimmy Lake. Well, when Chris Peterson came in, um, Chris totally changed the culture at Washington. You've got to go from what Tyrone Willingham, you know, is to attempt to destroy the program. And you had guys that didn't, that shouldn't have been playing in the Pac-12, guys who just lost their passion for football. And when Steve Sarkeesian came in, he had to turn a lot of things around and he had to do it quickly. And one of the uh, things with Sark was to turn it around quickly was to bring in a lot of guys that were academic risks. And a lot of them were very, very good players. You know, John Ross, Vita Vea, uh, Azim Victor, who all these guys are all conference type players, but they had great issues and they all pretty much thrived under the academic system. But then when they brought in Chris Peterson and his built for life, if you've never listened to Chris Peterson talk, he's amazing. And uh, he's always, you know, football is plan B, you know, your academics and who you are are plan A because there's so few people who make it. So, you know, creating the culture at Washington was such a big deal in his built for life program. And it's an amazing program. And Chris Peterson is still involved in the uh, in the football program. But, you know, when they handed the program off to Jimmy Lake, I think most anticipated that that stuff would continue. And it's just mind blowing that you have a Hall of Fame coach who mentored you through all of this stuff and all of this success and you get named the head coach. You never pick up the phone once and talk to him, not once, which just, just blows my mind. And, you know, Jimmy just changed when he went from defensive back coach to defensive coordinator to head coach. And it didn't end well. And I think some of the things that Chris Peterson instilled into the program got you know, Jimmy talked about it, doing the same stuff, but I think that the culture really took a slide back and then bringing in Kalen DeBoer, he's all on board. I mean, he talks to Chris Peterson regularly and, um, you know, this is not an outlaw program. I mean, academics and character are really, really important. And, you know, Chris Peterson talked about, I don't want players that I just like on Saturday and hate the other six days of the week. I've got to like them seven days a week. And Kalen DeBoer has pretty much been on board with that. And I don't know if you've really listened to him much or much of his coaching staff, but they just all seem to be that grind Midwest kind of work ethic. They just grind things out. They're not flashy, uh, you know, and when they talk to us, they're not flashy coaches out there. They're not all looking for their next job, but they just seem to be that Midwest grind them down type. It sounds a lot like, you know, coach, coach Smith too. Coach Smith learned a ton from Chris Peterson and, um, you know, Oregon state was in a horrible culture after, um, Gary Anderson. I mean, same kind of things, Kim. I mean, I, I remember talking to players and, and parents and the kids had just lost their love of football. They, they didn't even want to play anymore. And so when Jonathan took over and building kind of the same, the same, you know, same system, but what do you think is the ceiling for this year's team? Uh, the ceiling? I think they, I actually think that they have outkicked their coverage this year. I don't think anybody, um, expected the offense to be as good as it is. I don't think anybody expected the defense to be as poor as it is at six and two. I think that they can beat Oregon State. I don't think that they will beat Oregon. Um, that will put them at seven and three. They will beat Colorado. That would put them at eight and three. And uh, Washington State's game is going to be tough. So we'll see. So um, they could go 
three and one the rest of the season, they could go one and three. So we'll see. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, how well the defense performs, because I think the offense is going to be tough to stop. Yeah, this game will, I, I think, set the tone for both squads the rest of the way. And Oregon State's schedule might be a little more favorable with Cal and ASU. Those, I mean, those are no walkovers. Obviously, Arizona State beat Washington. But this does feel like, all right, we're here for the stretch run. Whoever wins this game might take off and 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 get a few down the stretch. It, it feels like a game that's going to decide, you know, after those top four, who's next in line, who's going to get into that. Uh, you know, the, the, the higher seated bulls, as opposed to, you know, going down to LA or to El Paso, right. um, as, as many have projected for Oregon state, that, that trip to El Paso. So <laughs> sounds like you so can, much you fun. can, tell, you can tell I'm fired up about that. Yeah. Oh, oh, you, you can go across the border to Juarez. <laughs> <Good shot. laughs> go, go over to Juarez to get some cheap meds and dental work. <laughs> <laughs> I've been around too long, haven't I? <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all we've got on the uh, on the rundown for you, Kim. If you want to th- throw some stuff back our way, we can we can answer a few questions for Oregon State. Um, otherwise, we'll let you get out of here. Oh no, I, I, I definitely have some questions for some Husky football fans. And you know, the big thing is Jonathan Smith was up here. I mean, when he was at Oregon State, he was a he was a Husky killer. I, I think. He, he, he just he, he set the up. record 469 yards passing that's the that's the record for um passing yeah no he, to, he tore it up and when he was the offensive coordinator here yeah i always say fans need to have a pinata you know and jonathan was a great pinata until he left and then everybody's going god i wish we had jonathan smith back and he signed a big contract extension down at oregon state and uh, it's funny because i see him being mentioned for jobs i don't see him ever leaving oregon state why would he do you? Yeah. No. I mean, no, I, I'm even... that's that's my exact take. And, you know, I, I can't remember who it was. Maybe Stuart Mandel. Or, you know, I, I don't want to put words in, in other people's mouths that listed him as a, a potential candidate for the Arizona state job. And I said, what? Why? Why? Why would he ever take another job in the Pac-12 that's not maybe named like USC or something like that? I mean, the big thing for me is, you know, Jonathan Smith took this program to such great heights as a player. You know, he's responsible for the the greatest season in Oregon State football history. Don't you think he wants to see that through as a coach, too? I mean, he's seen the heights that he can take this program to. I, I have no even I, I have no concerns about him ever leaving until he does that a few times as a coach, too. You know, a, a couple of 10 win seasons. He's going to want to see that same success. And even then, you know, as an Oregon State lifer, is, is this the kind of guy who might just say, hey, this is my place. This is where I want to be. Um, you know, somebody who could coach in the same place for 30 years, like like some of the greats have. I I don't see him ever leaving. I, I think, Angie, you're kind of on the same page there. Yeah, I just it's funny. I mean, Kim, you and the Husky fans know Jonathan Smith is not some flashy no. um, ego dude. I mean, he if he never had to talk to the media, he'd be like, I think, thrilled to death. Um, he's just not that guy. He has a young family. Um, and it's funny because it, you hear fans in the Pac-12. I mean, there's better weather and different. But. You know, Corvallis isn't like a bad gig. I mean, kind of, it's lay low and you raise your family and you're and mm-hmm. your five minute drive to this your work every day. I mean, it's, I, I just, it fits him so, so well. Well, tell me if I'm wrong on this because I don't think I am as well as I know Jonathan, but Jonathan's not about Jonathan as much. He's a family man. And if you yeah. take a look at him with his wife and how many kids does he have? 
they have three and okay. and the oldest one is my my youngest's age so he's um I think a freshman in high school right now and into sports I mean all the kids are into sports they're into you know all kinds of I mean yeah he's He's not going to uproot his family. He's got a good gig there. And uprooting your family as a coach, when you talk to Kalen DeBoer, you know, when he got hired and somebody asked him about possibly taking another job, he goes, yeah, you ask my kids, they're done with moving. Yeah. You know, it's uprooting. And Jonathan just seems like, hey, my, I'm here. I'm making money. My family's happy. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Well, yeah. I mean, what's he making now, Carter? What, what was Jonathan's new contract? Oh, couple million? Off, off the top of my head, I, I don't know. But I want to say like three and a half. Three and a half to four million in Corvallis. Yeah. Can you afford a house making that kind of salary in Corvallis? Yeah, he has a really nice house, by the way. I, I've seen pictures. It's, it's very nice. Yeah. Um, it's four million, three and a half, four million goes a lot further in Corvallis than it does um, L.A. or even Phoenix. Yeah, no, it kind of cracks me up when, when we see that. But I think the other interesting guy that you've – well, a couple of guys. I think I like your coordinators a lot. I, tell me a little bit about Brian Lindgren as a, um, as a coordinator. I think that he just kind of flies under the radar. He's the pinata this year. Oh, is he? <laughs> yeah, he totally is. He is Oregon State's pinata this year. Um, yeah. He which is. which he hasn't been in the past. I, I think, you know, for years, we talked about Brian Lindgren as being one of the two or oh, three coaches on this. Oh, but he has been a couple times. I mean, last year, Washington that, okay, State, yeah, that's you know, true. he just starts abandoning the run and getting trying to get too fancy. Yeah. Okay. So here, here's the thing. There have been times <laughs> where Brian Lindgren has, you know, re received some flack for his play calling. And, you know, I, I think you look at what he's done as a talent developer, um, you know, some of the game planning he does, and he's, he's right up there with, with some of the best offensive coordinators out, out West, in, in my opinion, in, in that realm. But there have been times where Angie and I are left scratching our heads on Sundays saying the run was working perfectly fine for two quarters. And then you abandoned it and went to this air raid style offense almost. And, and like, you know, things stalled and, and Oregon State didn't score for 20 minutes. Like, where was the run game? It's it's that kind of stuff that is that has left some Oregon State fans um, not entirely thrilled with play calling this year. Um, My biggest criticism. I, 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 think, I, I think more than not, though, Angie, we both agree that Brian Lindgren is like a pretty high end coordinator. Yeah. I, you know what? If I had one complaint, though, with with Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren combined is their lack of being able to recruit a top end quarterback. I mean, Absolutely. these are two guys, um, you know, Jonathan Smith played the position. He's coached at some really good schools, um, has a great pedigree. And Oregon State, this is the first year that Oregon State actually has recruited and has a commitment from a top-level quarterback. They've struggled, you know, for four years now. And so that, you know, there's no depth at quarterback, really, to speak of. I mean, Chance Nolan's down, and and you're left with Ben Goldbranson, who now will be in his, what, fourth start? Fourth start in a row, yeah. So, um is it Brian Lindgren's offense or is it Jonathan Smith's Well, offense? I, I think it's Brian Lindgren's. And I, I I do think, Carter, you can correct me if I'm wrong. When Oregon State had that little skid there um, where they threw, what, eight interceptions or something crazy yep. in two game span. Yep. Um, Jonathan did, um, he made some comments about needing to look at the play call, you know, kind of evaluate what they were doing. I, I think there was a heart to heart there between the two of them. He didn't throw anybody under the bus, but, you know, talking with him after the Utah game, it was very clear that, you know, he was not happy with the way that game was coached. And, you know, he put he took some of the blame himself, but you know, he referred to it as a, a coach's thing. You know, he was he was talking about the coaches need to do better on game days and put the players in in situations to be more successful. And I 
particularly with regards to the offense. I, I think a lot of that was directed towards Brian Lindgren and, and the, the running game as well. Damian Martinez started to kind of break through a little bit there in the, the middle part of the season. And it was very clear that Jonathan Smith wanted Damian Martinez to touch the ball a lot more than he was. Um, it, it almost seemed like a point of uh, like, a, you know, kind of a point of tension between Smith and, and some of the offensive coaches there. Now it's it's a non-issue. Damian Martinez seems to be the, the featured back in this offense. But there were a couple of weeks there where it seemed like maybe there was some butting of heads on the coaching staff. Now, Trent Bra- Trent, go I was going to say, now talking about defensive coordinator, Trent Bray. Yeah, Trent Bray, yeah. I mean, um, can, can you, Kim, you probably remember, I mean, Trent played up in Pullman as a high school student. His dad, Craig Bray, was um, Oregon State under Dennis Erickson. It was at ASU, long time. But Trent has... This was a defense that was one of the worst in the country. And uh, he's got them playing better than 50th rank now, pretty much overall. Which one of those two, if you were to say Trent Bray or Brian Lindgren, which one's a head coach first? Trent Bray. Trent Bray. Wow. Yeah. If if you asked me last year, I, I would have said Lindgren. But I just think the leadership that we have seen from Bray in – the span of now almost exactly a year in, in this role, because he was named the interim around this time last year, the leadership and I mean his ability to scheme and, and show that kind of improvement on a year-over-year basis. I mean, like Angie said, Oregon State was one of the worst defenses in college football at this point last year, and now they're one of the best defenses in the Pac-12. Yeah, and, and Trent has such a – he is totally – um, he has the respect of his, not only the defensive players, but he's the guy that's out there, you know, during warmups, the offensive guys, he knows all the offensive yeah. guys and he's, you know, shaking their hands and talking to them. Um, very, very top end coach. You guys are familiar with the, you know, the secondary at Oregon state if you've got Michael Penix and it's third and 10, how comfortable are you on third down with Michael Penix back there against the Oregon state secondary? Pretty confident. Yeah. <laughs> Oregon state secondary is probably I mean, Carter, I would say best in the pack and one of the top in the country. I mean, this yeah, is- I, I, I think it's a top 10 group in the country. Um, the, the passing yards per game number, it, it doesn't back that up. I, I think the Beavers are still like in the bottom half of the country and passing yards allowed per game or, or right around the middle of the pack there. Um, but you look at the, the pass defense numbers, the, it's the, the pass deflections and the interceptions and, Oregon State's doing that at, at a rate that nobody in the Pac-12 is even close to right now. The Beavers only have 10 interceptions, but I mean, there was, like a, three game, there was a three-game stretch in there where they didn't have one, and it, it felt kind of uncharacteristic for this group. But I mean, Jaden Grant's got three picks. Ryan Cooper Jr.'s got three picks. Uh, Rajon Wright, I think, has two. I mean, we go down the list. Alex Austin just had a pick six last week. Like, it's not just one or two guys that are doing it. And I think that's what makes this group so good. And and that's why I think Angie says she has confidence in a third and 10 against Michael Penix, because if Penix wants to go to one side of the field, he's got an all conference corner that he's throwing against. If he goes to the other side, Oh, there's another all conference corner. If he wants to go over the top, there's two all conference safeties. And then you throw in probably an all conference nickel as a fifth guy there. And I mean, it's there, there, there are no breaks for opposing offenses when you're going up against that secondary. And that I, this is what makes the game so intriguing, you know, with Washington's offense, you know, being their strength and Oregon State's defense, strength against strength. That's why I think that this game is so intriguing. And then throw the weather in, yeah. you know, so I think that's going to make it real interesting. But I think also, you know, as you said, you know, when you take a look at the numbers, 
I think passing yardage numbers can be skewed when you're always ahead. But when you're playing ahead and forcing teams to throw the ball, of course, there's going to be more passing yards. So those numbers can get skewed a little bit. But, you know, again, you know, Washington's weakness on their running game going against Oregon State's, uh, you know, defensive front. Tell me a little bit about that defensive front. It's it's much improved, that's for sure. We go back to the improvements that that Trent Bray has made on the defense, and I think a lot of it starts up front. Just a more aggressive scheme. The defensive line has been like I, I, Angie. I don't think we've even talked about the defensive line this year, which is so no, and that's been because... a huge huge point of contention. I think that's yeah. that was one of our biggest weaknesses. I still don't think it's a strength necessarily, but um, they're yeah. better. Well, I, I I saw a pro football focus metric. Uh, earlier today that Oregon State has like one of the highest graded run defenses west of the Mississippi right now. Yeah, We would not have said that last year or the first four years of of Jonathan Smith's tenure. And and I like, and this goes back to Trent Bray, the scheming has been able to maybe mask some deficiencies in that pass rush because you'll see outside linebackers in the pass rush. You'll see safeties coming. You'll see corners, corner blitzes. Mm -hmm. So, um, Oregon State gets really creative in in how they they rush rush the passer. Yeah, and if you take a look at the stats, I think Washington's run defense is right at, rated higher than it should be, and that's because they've been playing ahead for so uh, so often. And why would you run the ball when you can throw the ball, you know, against Washington <laughs> secondary? But at the end of the day, it still comes down to you know um, you know college football has changed so much. You know, instead of uh, the game being about stopping the other guy, it's more about outscoring the other guy. And when you take a look at uh, Oregon State's offense, because I think Washington is going to score regardless with their with their offense. It's just that dynamic. And uh, it will Oregon State's offense be able to put up the numbers. Tell us people a little bit about uh, Oregon State's offense. It's going to have to rely on the run game, I think. You know, a, a third year freshman quarterback going into a hostile environment in the weather, you know, without without Luke Musgrave at tight end, we, we haven't really talked about that being much of a factor, but this feels like a, a Luke Musgrave kind of game, you know, where maybe you can't air it out 30 yards downfield because the wind's a factor and it's going to be hard for your receivers to hold on to the ball. This feels like a tight end kind of game, right? And so, I mean, maybe we see some some true freshman Jack Velling um, out of Seattle, oh, a, a Seattle native himself. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of broken out this season, but it does feel like a game where Oregon State has to, dominate the the point of attack get some yards at the line of scrimmage which it has shown this year and particularly in the last couple of weeks it's it's as capable of doing that as it has been in years past yeah it's just it would be i'd like to see this game in september rather than november i'd like you know where uh the outside elements wouldn't impact i think it would be a hell of a bowl game yeah you know you know so maybe when washington goes to the Big Ten, they can play Oregon State in a bowl game. <laughs> in, San in the Diego. Rose Bowl? In San Diego. How's that sound? <laughs> yeah, let's let's move to Pasadena. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's go down there because I'm sure what you sold your house for in Corvallis, you would be able to upgrade down in Pasadena. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Anything else for me, guys? I think we're good. We've got some Oregon State stuff to talk about too, so we'll uh, we'll let you bounce. I can send the audio over to you. You can chop it up and and use it on on Dogman as you wish. But Kim, thanks for joining us. I'll uh, thanks, I'll definitely be looking for you and and Chris and everyone else at, at the Dogman staff on the uh, on the sidelines and in the press box tomorrow. 
I will be there. Scott Eklund will be there. Chris Fetters will be there. We will have an intern there. And uh, Monica Samick will be on the sidelines. Moni! Moni will be there. So uh, we usually come up to the press box beforehand, grab a bite to eat before we go down into the shower, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll do that. But any help you guys need? We're there for you. And, uh, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to Moni if you have some specific photo needs. She's awesome. She's best. All right. Awesome. We awesome. appreciate Thanks, it. Kim. Carter, how much do you have to pay Angie to work for her? Because she's so cool. How much do you pay her to work? Better's <laughs> paid us for three years before we actually <laughs> made him stop. How much do you pay Angie? Because that's that's how you guys really make the money. Having guys. Yeah. 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 That's pretty much it. <laughs> People knocking down the door to, to work at Beaver Blitz. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, just forward this stuff to Chris Fetters, uh, all of it, and he'll get it up, okay? Awesome. We appreciate it, Kim. Thanks for Thank stopping you. by. Come Thank down you, on the Kim. sidelines. Come down on the sidelines. Come, I come will. With, 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 my, with my raincoat, rain pants, poncho, boots. Shorts, flip-flops. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Kim. That's Kim Grinolds of dogman.com. Just great stuff as always from the 24-7 sports experts. Uh, another advertisement for 24-7 sports is, you know, all of the all of the great insight and analysis you get uh, with a beaverblitz.com subscription. You can go read Kim's stuff. You can go listen to Chris Fetters on the Dogman podcast. All read their message stuff. boards. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, and like like he said, then you also add in the extra, extra bonus of Biggins and Huffman um, with recruiting, best in the business, and, and Moni. Moni works for 24-7 as well and um, is amazing resource for me behind the scenes. So um, it's a great it's a great team. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. All right, let's shift our gears to Oregon State specifically because it's, you know, it's a short week. We're here recording on Thursday and we've got a game in what, almost 24 hours, but um, that didn't slow things down in, in Corvallis one bit this week. We still had a Jonathan Smith press conference on Monday, uh, still talked to some coaches and players on Tuesday, and we gained a lot of insight. So let's start uh, with with the Monday stuff, Angie. A couple of injury notes first to, to touch on that's always uh, one of the big, you know, points of, of emphasis throughout the week. You want to run through this or here, I'll, I'll kick it off with this offensive lineman. Marco Brewer is out for the year. Uh, he sustained an injury against Colorado. We didn't really see this coming. I don't even remember him leaving the game. Really? He'd been um, kind of, I mean, I, I mean, I know he's been battling some things just because he's been um, kind of in and out. Um, but I don't know what, what the injury was that he sustained, but. Yeah, guessing lower it, leg 
because it'll, it'll go down as yeah, it'll go down as undisclosed. Undisclosed, um, but yeah, Alton Julian um, also out for the out. year. Angie, uh, we we actually reported that last month and yeah. finally got the confirmation from Smith himself. On I like it when other media like runs it like it's new news. Like, <laughs> welcome to the party. Um, Everett yeah. Hayes, Joe Golden may return this week, yeah. and then Chance Nolan has been cleared. Um, we will not see him um, as the starter this week. But are you surprised that that Chance is back? Is this uh, what? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm not surprised because if he was in the concussion protocol for what, like a fourth straight week, yeah. I would have been pretty concerned. <laughs> um, I, I I do think you know we haven't gotten the specific word from Smith on concussion slash neck strain, but like it was originally announced as a neck strain, neck and then he was in the protocol. So I have a feeling there were two things going yeah. on there. Yeah. Um, it was just a matter of of getting cleared from both of them. So it's possible that he wasn't in protocol for three and a half weeks. It's possible that you know that was like a one and a half, and then oh yeah, he's got this neck injury. Um, Which let me tell you, I slept wrong last night. Holy crap! Okay, I, I did the same thing. Neck. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sitting. I'm sitting here too. I like, can't look. Right. I can't look left. It's bad. I'm like no. doused in essential oils. I even took an, a leave this morning. Getting old is stupid. <laughs> or playing football. Okay. Yeah, playing football will do it to you for sure. <laughs> uh, but on the topic of the quarterback, so yes. Chance was limited in practice on Monday and Tuesday. He will not get the start this week. He will not return to the lineup. Uh, Jonathan Smith said on uh, on John Canzano's radio show on Tuesday that Bengal Branson will get his fourth consecutive start. So it will be the third-year freshman. It will be the redshirt freshman graduate, Bengal Branson, standing back there under center in the pocket for Oregon State. I, I said this earlier when we were talking to Kim, Angie, that you know it, it feels like a game where Ben's kind of thrown to the wolves as he was against against Utah. The secondary is not as good that he's facing, but that atmosphere, that environment, the weather, it just feels like a tough spot for a guy who doesn't have a ton of experience. Yeah, but he's not green. So that's, you know, that that Utah that's game true. was tough um or you know to come into that one. Um I I don't think it's I mean I think he's been around the program. I I don't even think of him as a as a newbie anymore. I I kind of look at him he's this is his fourth start. He's got, you know, some things under his belt. I, I do think it was, um, I think that Colorado game and a bye week were good for him to kind of build some confidence. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really concerned about it because Chance, Chance has his other issues. So, you know, Chance, um, it's not like um, I wouldn't say that anybody had necessarily, I mean, especially when you look at Carter, you and, I mean, we kind of knew Chance was going to be the starter, but when Smith and company decided to le- make that uh, quarterback battle, lead on i mean they they did have some questions because not not one of them just kind of won the job outright with all their skills completely agree pm in the chat i, I just threw this up on the on the youtube screen if, if you're watching us live on youtube pm says this feels like the end of the nolan era unless school branson gets hurt i mean if ben goes up there and he wins this game and he yeah. improves to 4-0 as a starter you're probably right yeah. because you know, there's obviously the injury piece. Brian Lindgren said he doesn't believe in quarterbacks losing their job due to injury. You know, so what? Take that for what it's worth. What Chance Nolan did before he got hurt was throw six picks in what <laughs> five quarters of football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like he was playing out of the out of this world before he got hurt too. So, 
you know, there's something to be said about game manager quarterbacks. There was a reason Tristan Jebbia won the job two years ago in that COVID season, game manager type football player. Goldbranson's undefeated as a starter. And if he keeps that going, he might just be the guy the rest of the way. Yep, I agree. Speaking of Brian Lindgren, he also, as Angie was talking about earlier, said this is the best pass rush Oregon State has seen and, and maybe will see this year. Uh, up at UW. So the key there, as as Lindgren said, stay on schedule, no third and longs, you know, keep it to third and short. Let's pick up a few yards on first, few yards on second, and uh and you know stay out of those obvious passing situations because Washington does have an ability to get home just sending three or four guys, which I mean that that poses all sorts of problems because if you can drop guys into coverage and, and still get pressure, yeah, good luck. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think this is this is going to be a, a game. Uh, the weather is going to dictate a lot. So, um, yeah, dink and dunks, run game. Like you said, pick up the chunk, two, three, four yards a, a play, and stay out of those deep, long passes. Ben Goldbranson said that he is getting more and more comfortable every week. The game is continuing to slow down for him, which is exactly what you want to hear from your, your new starting quarterback, somebody who is is still gaining experience. Another player who spoke during the week is, is defensive lineman Isaac Hodgins, who was asked if he might come back next year for, well, would that be a sixth or? Yeah, it'd be, be a sixth six. year for him, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, non-committal said, you know, he's got a family now. It's it's not just him going to decide what's, what's best for him. And then Trent Bray rounded out the interviews. And, uh, and and talked a little bit about the weather, which I, I it was interesting to gain the perspective on that from a defensive coach because Bray said, you know, if it's if it's wet, if it's windy, it doesn't really affect us that much on defense. It's more of an offensive thing. You just got to be ready to take the ball away if it comes loose. Yeah, I think that's huge. I think that's a great observation. Um, this isn't going to, you know, affecting, you know, they just have to be ready for either ball slipping out of hands, um, any of that and maybe bray they also, try to, uh, to punch some yeah bray also highlighted michael Penix and, and said really what makes him the most dangerous is the sporting cast yeah you know coaches will coaches will always hype up their opponent but i, I think he's got a point Penix has two great receivers that that he targets more than more than the others um and you know the run game hasn't been particularly effective but like i said earlier their top two guys have combined for 14 touchdowns so they're doing something right pretty solid offensive line as well a, a veteran group and yeah you you put all those pieces together and that's exactly why washington has such a potent passing attack uh we're gonna go overtime for sure today we're gonna we're gonna cross the hour threshold in just a minute but we still have to hit on keys to the game and this is one of our weekly segments and I'm going to let you start things off with the offense. And I typed them in for you. So look at that. Wow. That helps I so did. much. I did. Uh, so I, I don't have in. to do it. You don't have to do it. And we'll remember when we recap on Sunday. Um, my key to the game um, for offense is run the ball. And um, I just think it's going to, the weather is going to dictate so much. Um, keep the ball on the ground. Um, again, ball, you know, ball security is going to be huge for these running backs. They're going to have to be able to, to hold on to it. But um, I just think that's going to be huge with the weather. And um, I think it's, I think Kim might've might be overlooking, you know, I heard him say he expects the Huskies to win. We didn't get his final score, but I, I just, I, I think the weather is going to be a bigger factor in this game than some people are are thinking, especially since Washington's strength on offense is pass, passing. 
the wind more than the rain, in, in my yeah. opinion, just based off of, you know, the recent forecasts that I have seen suggesting that most of the rain might be limited to the mountains and the hills yeah. and that Seattle itself might not actually get very much rain at all. Um, insane rain shadow effect there at play. And if that is true, the weather might not be as huge of a factor in this game as, as we originally thought. Um, running the ball, you know, regardless of what the weather is, I think that's a great key because Oregon State uh, going up against a great pass rush is going to have to maintain balance and is, is going to have to move the ball on the ground. I think, you know, my key to the game offensively for Oregon State, the offensive line just has to protect Bengal Branson and he's got to be able to move around a little bit because with that trio of edge rushers and and Washington being 12th nationally uh, 12th in the nation in sacks you know it's it's unfortunate that Oregon State has to overcome that in order to take advantage of a secondary that's really down because if Colbranson gets the ball out of the pocket quickly and the receivers are able to get open and they could have a field day down downfield yeah. you know this this is not the Washington secondary's of past there is a lot of opportunity for Oregon State to move the ball through the air but that's not going to happen if Colbranson keeps getting sacked or if he's getting pressured and he has to throw the ball away. I think the the run game will will lead the way or or supplement the passing attack, but only if balance is maintained and you've got to get the ball out quickly against those three guys. Okay, sounds good. So there's our keys. Protect Ben and run the ball. Um, defensively, you want me to go? Um, well, I okay, I'm, I'm looking at the thing and we have the yeah. same thing. Um yeah, gotta, you can, you, you can you, go for it and all that on. I mean, you just, we have to, Beaver defense has got to put some pressure on Penix, um, make life uncomfortable, similar to what they did to, you know, Caleb Williams. Um, I, I just think that's going to be the key. We're, we're going to have to see some blitzing packages and um, really make him, make him uncomfortable. It's helpful for the front seven too. And well, we talk about the front seven, but at Oregon state, these blitzes come from everywhere. Everywhere. Um, so I, I think it's helpful for the Oregon state defense that like Kim just said, Michael Penix is not a mobile guy. You know, he's more yeah. of a prototypical pocket passer. I looked at his rushing numbers. They're like right around zero yards. So, you know, he's, he's not necessarily, not necessarily going to take 20 yard sacks. Um, but you know he's he's not gonna he's not the Caleb Williams type where you really have to worry about pressuring and containing yeah. or like a a cam rising type too. He's more of a guy that um, you know you can just you can send the house and and assume he's not going to try to make plays with his legs. I think Oregon State's secondary matches up really well against that receiving core against the passing game and and should be able to to somewhat neutralize Washington's receivers. But you know that's only half the battle. Because if if Penix has all day to throw, eventually somebody's going to get open, and and we've seen that in years past at Oregon State. Solid secondaries get um, overdone by the lack of a pass rush, and so you know run the same scheme you did against USC, run a similar scheme as um, against Fresno. Washington State, Fresno, Fresno State. Yeah. Yeah. All of these games where Oregon State has generated pressure, and I, I think the fact that they don't have to worry about containing as much really opens up some of that defensive playbook for Trent Bragg. All right, those are our keys to the game. So we'll run it back here. Angie says to run the ball and, and to do it with success. I say protect the pocket, and then defensively, we both agree it's going to come down to pressuring Michael Penix Jr. to try to uproot uh, th that rhythm that he gets into in I know you one guys, of the nation's best passing offenses. You want to hear it too, Sex City. We need a song for Sex City. 
We could do a, a Sac City drop. I can, I can, I can make something happen there. <laughs> okay, just because I've said it now like three weeks, and the Beavers have won, so we got to just stay consistent there. This is, I mean, pocket pressure is kind of it's your your Sac hallmark of, of the it, of the it keys is. To the game segment. <laughs> All right, we'll leave with a look around the Pac-12. Oregon State and Washington get things started on Friday in the conference. We we're past the bye week portion of the season. Oregon State and Washington closed that out last week uh, with their buys. Everyone will play every week the rest of the way now, I believe. I, I don't think anybody has any like week 11 buys in this conference. Um, so Oregon State, I, I, I pulled these lines from Caesar Sportsbook last night. Oregon State... A four and a half point dog at the dogs, 7.30 p.m. Friday on ESPN2. And then the Saturday slate. Okay. Um, I Actually, do, do you want to pick Oregon State, Washington against the spread? Um, Oregon State. All right. I'll take Oregon State in the points. Yeah, I don't think this is determined by more than a field goal either way. No, but I actually I, think I, Oregon I see State like wins a, outright. Yeah, I see like a 24-21, 27-24, you know, kind of grind it out type game. Um, I, you have the Beavs I, I winning? Eh, I don't know. I keep going back and forth. I still, <laughs> I haven't made my pick for, for Beaver Blitz staff picks yet. I'll tell you what, it's probably going to be a field goal either way. I, yeah. It's just going to be a, we'll see what happens when I start typing. Stream of consciousness okay. type pick this week, I think. Okay. Oregon's but, 31 and a half point favorites over Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's <laughs> about what Oregon State was. Yeah, I, I think Oregon could win this game by 50. Okay. Or 60. <laughs> Washington. I don't, think, I don't think Colorado's scoring against them. I, I really don't. And I think Oregon can rack up. 50 yeah, they plus. can rack up points. And you know they will because why not? Um, yeah. Washington that's a, State. That's a 12 30 p.m. game on, uh, on ESPN, by the way. The, the window that Oregon State is like dying to get into. And yeah, and, and yeah, and there's two of them this at week. At some point, get into it. Uh, there's two 12 30 games this week Oregon and, and Washington State. The, the headline. How did Oregon games. Colorado get the 12 30 kick on ESPN? Right? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a 50 point game. Like, I don't, I don't understand cares? that. Um, okay, Washington State is a four and a half point favorite at Stanford. Another twelve thirty game on Pac twelve net. What do you got there? Yeah, Washington State uh, should should cover this pretty healthily. I think Stanford has played a little bit better in in the recent weeks, but man, Washington State's a a better team than their four and four record suggests. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Um, how about Arizona um, seventeen and a half point dogs at Utah? Feels about right. Arizona's yeah. going to score some points. Utah's defense isn't as good as it has been. Uh, the last couple of years, we've we've seen that play out this year. Utah's still a much better team, but um, yeah, it, it feels like the first team to, to 35 is probably going to win, and I, I think Utah will get there um, much much before before Arizona. But the, the Wildcats don't sleep on that Wildcats offense, yeah. though. Yeah, they're uh, and that's you know, a four thirty. They can score some points. Four thirty, Pac twelve net kick. Okay, I, I still think the Oregon State. Um, Washington game is kind of the Pac-12 game of the week, but um, UCLA is a ten and a half point favorite at ASU, seven thirty on ESPN. What are your thoughts there? Uh, well, the Bruins should roll. Uh, this is a Pac-12 after dark spot against an Arizona State team that has done some has done some stuff. I mean, they beat Washington. They, they've they've taken some teams down into the fourth quarter, and so 
you know, maybe we see this thing go a little sideways, get a little crazy at the end, but UCLA should win by, by more than 10 and a half against a, against an Arizona state team that I don't even really know what they're playing for at this point. So. And then last, uh, another seven thirty FS one, excuse me. Cal is a 21 and a half point dog at USC. Feels right. Feels yeah. like the right number to me. USC has a chance to, well, USC has to win out in order to, to probably make the Pac-12 title game and, and potentially make the playoff. I, I think USC-Oregon would be such an incredible Pac-12 title game. The winner's probably going to the playoff at that point. Yeah. Unless it's Oregon, I, that loss against Georgia, you know, that, that could hold them back. But if USC wins out, I think the Trojans will go to the playoffs. So uh, every game is big for, for USC at this point in the season. Yeah. That's all the time we have. We've gone over time as I expected we would. It's been a busy week. We've had a lot to talk about uh, over the span of four days, and, and we've we've got a game tomorrow on Friday. I got to hustle up to Seattle, and, and we'll get to Husky Stadium tomorrow evening for again. It's it's a huge game for Oregon State. It's late in the season. It feels so good to say that that we're watching meaningful football and, and covering meaningful games this late in the year. Angie, I know you're looking forward to it. Uh, and we'll come back at, at some point this weekend, probably Sunday, probably Sunday afternoon slash evening. I mean, we do have an extra day to recap this thing, yeah. but I think the podcast will probably stay on Sunday this week and, unless you uh, unless you say otherwise. OK, well, we'll figure it out. Somebody has to drive home from Seattle. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> and, and hopefully not in the rain. And hopefully not in the rain. I, I'm sure it will. But that's what you expect in the Pacific Northwest in November. So. All right. Well, we will probably be back on Sunday unless something changes. Uh, Expect a a Sunday at at five type thing like we normally do. Until then, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado one. You can follow me at Carter Baines and feel free to follow at Kim Grinolds as well. Head over to dogman.com to check out the Washington perspective on this game. We will be back on Sunday for another episode of the damn podcast. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.